0: We'll read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. The text reads like this. The Apostle Paul writes, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ,
1: Amen, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would inform our minds and fill our hearts and equip our hands to serve your purposes in the world. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. In 1979, the legendary songwriter Bob Dylan wrote these words, It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody somebody you may not like his songs but you can take those words to the bank we're almost at the end of our pilgrimage through Ephesians and as Paul addresses servants and masters today his point is this fulfill God's will in your workplace Fulfill God's will in your workplace. Now, since chapter 4, Paul has been showing believers in Jesus how they are to live for Jesus. Paul has instructed wives and husbands. He's instructed children and parents, and again today, servants and masters, And this will be the last passage in the main body of Ephesians that speaks to the visible world. Next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we're going to be stepping into the invisible realm. And Paul is going to be showing us there how we are to stand firm as believers in Christ, against our invisible enemies. But before we come to our passage today, let me address the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is that of the evil of slavery. Because in reality, Paul's instructions in our passage to servants or bond servants and masters really relate to or refer to slaves and masters. And slavery was... And slavery still is an evil. It's, it's true that during Paul's time, uh, enormous steps were being taken in the right direction for the better treatment of slaves, but they were slaves nonetheless. It's estimated, actually, that uh, in the Roman Empire there were about 60 million slaves, which accounted for one third of the population of the Roman Empire. Someone said this, agricultural instruments were divided into three classes. The articulate, who were slaves, the inarticulate, which were animals, and the mute, which were tools and vehicles. And so a slave's only distinction above animals or tools was that he could speak. The Roman statesman Cato said, Old slaves should be thrown on a dump, and when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It is not worth your money. Take six slaves and throw them away, because they are nothing but inefficient tools. And Juvenal, a Roman poet, wrote of a slave owner whose greatest pleasure was listening to the sweet song of his slaves being flogged. So why then... Doesn't Paul condemn slavery in our passage? Well, friends, notice that Paul neither condemns nor condones slavery in our passage. Actually, elsewhere in the New Testament, he says to slaves, listen, if you can gain your freedom, then gain it. And, and he tells a, a Christian slow, slave master to stop treating his believing slave as a slave and instead to receive him as a beloved brother. So I believe it would be a rash mistake for us to uh, assume on the back of Ephesians 6, 5-9 that Paul was somehow pro-slavery or, or, for, or for slavery In fact, in our passage today, Paul plants abolitionist seeds that would eventually grow into a rainforest of freedom. And I'm going to show that to us by the time we get done today. But let me say here what I've been saying over the last two weeks, and that is this. This passage is for everyone. Everyone in this room. I know you you feel like a slave in your job, uh, but you're actually not a slave in your job. You have wages, or you have a, sl- a salary. Uh, you have a HR department. You you have a contract. You have rights. Uh, there is a procedure a complaints procedure for you to follow if there is unjust treatment in your workplace. But even though you're not a slave, this is a passage for you because the arena in which to apply Paul's words today is obviously the workplace. Now, some of you are too young to have a job, but you will have to have a job someday. And so you need to treasure up all these words in your heart. Others of you are retired and you're never going to go to uh, work again. But you need to encourage or hold the rest of us here to the standard that Paul prescribes here in these verses in Ephesians. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God might be equipped for every good Work. There's something here for everyone. So again, the point, fulfill God's will in your workplace. And Paul says first, number one, work as though for Christ. Work as though for Christ. Look at verses five to seven. He writes there, bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with all with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man. Obey your master on earth, Paul says, as though he were your master in heaven with fear and trembling and a a sincere heart. Obey your master on earth when he is looking and when he isn't looking, knowing that your master in heaven sees all. And serve your master on earth, Paul says, with the goodwill that you would show to your heavenly master. If you put that in 21st century language, uh, here's what you get. When your master asks you, your manager asks you to do something that is beneath you, reply to that email as though you were replying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when his or her out of office email comes back to you, don't view that as an excuse to slack off. Instead, Do the will of God from the heart, knowing that Christ, your heavenly master, is looking even when your earthly master isn't. And when your master takes you for granted and overlooks you, don't repay him with a bad attitude. Instead, show the same kind of goodwill to him as you would show to the Lord Jesus Christ. And why bother? Seriously, who cares? Who can be bothered with all of that? Well, let me give you one reason because the worth of your heavenly master will be seen in your work for your earthly master. Let me say that again. The worth of your heavenly master will be seen in your work for your earthly master. What I mean is this. When a Christian is the most reliable, productive, helpful, conscientious, honest diligent, hard-working employee, because he or she is working for Christ, what that says is, Jesus is worth the effort to me. Jesus is worth every extra mile I could ever walk. Jesus is worth every early start. He's worth every extra mile. Jesus is worth all the effort I could put in for him. Because he is that wonderful to me. We work for what we value. Isn't that true? We work for what we value. Think for a moment about the hard work uh, that goes into raising children. Why do we bother? Well, because our children are precious to us. Or or, or think for a moment about the, the hard work that goes into keeping a marriage alive. Why do we bother? Well, because a husband cherishes his wife and a wife cherishes her husband. And think about the colossal effort that went into the Second World War, the the effort of Winston Churchill and his cabinet, the effort and work of our army and the whole nation that was involved in beating Hitler. Why did they do it? Well, because our freedom and theirs was worth it to them. And so they marshaled the troops. They engineered the bombs. They they trained the soldiers. They cracked the codes. They flew the planes. They, They designed the tanks because our freedom and theirs was worth it to them. We work for what we value. So when we work as though for Christ and become the most reliable, productive, helpful, conscientious, honest, diligent, hard-working people in the office, or in the school, or in the surgery, or in the courtroom, or in the roast room at Bean Coffee, our work performance says, Jesus Christ is worth so much to me. He's worth all of the blood, sweat, and tears that I could ever shed for Him, because He shed His blood, sweat, and tears for me. And he worked until he could say, it is finished. The work of salvation is done because he earned it all for us. And therefore, if he earned it all for us, then how much more now should we work for him? And friends, when we do, that is how we honor God and fulfill God's will in the workplace. Now, the reality is, Because we live in such a post-Christian, godless culture, you really are going to have to join the dots for your manager on this one. They are not going to look at your work performance and say, oh, he or she must be a Christian, and Jesus Christ must be really precious to him or her. No, we are way beyond that as a nation, sadly. But the point is, when the opportunity arises... Your work should strengthen your words, not weaken your words. <coughs> and actually, if you are the best employee in, in, in the company, you've earned the right to tell your manager why. To point him or her to the one you're working for. Uh, I've, t- I've told you all before about the person I know who has uh, received three promotions in the company that she works for since, since starting at the company. And when her, her managers were, were thanking her for all that she brings to the table, uh, they thanked her for all of the things that come from her Christian worldview and, uh, and uh, her beliefs as a Christian, her honesty, uh, her selflessness, her reliability, all of those different things. Well, now a wide and effective door is wide open to her in the workplace. Because the worth of her heavenly master is being reflected in her work for her earthly master. And that's what it looks like to fulfill God's will in the workplace. And listen, if you're in a good place spiritually right now, that will be a motivator for you. What I mean is a healthy Christian is motivated by the opportunity to glorify his or her master but Paul gives us another motivator doesn't he in verse 8 when he says knowing that whatever good anyone does this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a slave or free that is Jesus Christ will reward the work that you've done as though for him from what a comfort that should be to you If you're here today and you do work as to the Lord and yet your manager takes you for granted and overlooks the the blood, sweat, and tears that you put into your job, Paul is saying here, your heavenly master sees it all and he will reward all of it in due measure when he returns. Listen to this story that I came across this past week. Someone wrote uh, an elderly Missionary couple were returning home on a ship after many years of sacrificial service in Africa. On the same ship was Theodore Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States. He had just completed a highly successful <clears throat> big game hunt. As the ship docked in the New York Harbor, thousands of well-wishers and dozens of reporters lined the pier to welcome Roosevelt home. But not a single person was there to welcome the missionaries. As the couple rode to a hotel in a taxi, the man complained to his wife, it just doesn't seem right. We gave 40 years of our lives to Jesus Christ to win souls in Africa and nobody knows or cares when we return. And yet the president goes over there for a few weeks to kill animals and the whole world takes notice. But as they pray together that night, the Lord seemed to say to them, do you know why you haven't received your reward yet? It is because you are not yet home. Friend, your reward is waiting for you at home, not on earth. And therefore, if you're gonna fulfill God's will in the workplace, you've gotta fix your eyes on these two motivators the glory that you will bring to your heavenly master now and the rewards that your heavenly master will bring when he returns. And those two incentives will keep you from that dreadful attitude that says, another day, another dollar. And they'll keep you from becoming an an eye-server or a man-pleaser, And they'll motivate you to become a God pleaser. Obeying God from the heart. So can I say this? Go to Christ before you go to work. Go to Christ before you go to work. Go to Christ and ask God, Lord, open my eyes to his glory. Open my eyes to his excellence and to his magnificence and to his worth and to his Wander into his love to me in order for you want to then work for his glory in your workplace. And do that remembering that his reward is waiting for you. The words are coming. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You were faithful in a little. I will set you over much. Go to Christ before you go to work. And second, manage in view of Christ. <clears throat> manage in view of Christ. Look at verse nine again. It says, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him And so if servants are to work as though for Christ, then masters are to manage in view of Christ. I think that's what Paul means when he says, masters do the same to them. I don't think Paul is saying there, masters obey your servants as you would obey the Lord. I think he's saying there, manage your servants with Christ in mind, just as servants are to obey you with Christ in mind too. Now, I've been making the case over the last couple of weeks that all of Paul's instructions to wives and husbands and to children and to parents flew in the face of the cultural norms of Paul's day. Husbands back then were just thought to be a law unto themselves. And their infidelity was thought to be an inevitability. And Paul has gotten in their face here in Ephesians and he said, No, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And it was the same for, for fathers. They had the freedom back then to sell their family members into slavery or kill them without any fear of punishment or repercussions at all. And Paul has got it in their face. And he said, fathers, no. Restrain the improper use of your authority. Do not provoke your children to anger. But I believe that Paul's words here to slave masters were the most Countercultural instructions of all. Because if Roman slavery was like a, a Jenga tower, then Paul's instructions here pull at the bottom layer. And if Roman slavery was like a, a wildflower, then the stroke of his pen slashes it from its roots. Here are the abolitionist seeds that gave way to a rainforest of freedom. Now, what makes me say that? Well, Roman slavery was sustained by two factors, at least. The first was a, a class system that said that slave masters have the right to do whatever they want with their slaves because they're more powerful than them. And then the second, born out of the first, was a custom of threatening. Think about it, slaves weren't paid wages. And so there was no positive incentive for them to work for their slave masters. So slave masters had to give them a negative incentive, which took the form of threats. They would threaten beatings. Uh, They would threaten to withhold their food or their water. Uh, They would threaten to sell their children To another slave master. Which would mean that they would never see them ever again. And who could stop them? Who was above them? No one in their eyes. But Paul says here. Masters Jesus Christ is above you. Masters Jesus Christ is both your master and theirs. Jesus Christ is not intimidated by you. And he's not intimidated by your position or by your power, and since he is your master and theirs, he makes you all equals. Before his supremacy, you are all, and we are all, dust and grasshoppers. We're nothing. And friends, this is why, historically, evangelical Christians are the ones who have done the most. For the abolition of slavery, not the least. Because we have one eye on our master in heaven and another eye on the servants on earth. Maybe you know that before William Wilberforce was a Christian, he was a slob. He was a couch potato. This is how he described his pre-conversion days. Quote, I did nothing at all. End quote. And his, his mate, William Pitt, became the prime minister at the age of 24. And so he ran for a, a house to be a member of parliament at the age of 21. And he got it basically for a laugh. But after his conversion, he wrote this. God Almighty has set before me Two great objects or goals, who would say today? The suppression of slavery and the reformation of morals. And in May 1789, you told Parliament why. You said, I confess to you so enormous, so dreadful, so irremediable, did its wickedness appear, that is the African slave trade, that my own mind was completely made up for abolition, And he was like a dog with a bone for the next 45 years. His proposal was shot down in Parliament 11 times. And it wasn't properly settled until three days before he died. And when the royal assent was declared, we read, Wilberforce turned to his best friend and colleague, Henry Thornton, and said, well, Henry, what should we abolish next? What could turn a couch potato into an abolitionist hero? Well, it's not what, but it's who. Only Jesus Christ, the master in heaven. Wilberforce knew that above every earthly master stood the heavenly master. And above every earthly slave trader stood Christ. And in view of his lordship, racism and slavery were unthinkable. And therefore in view of Jesus' service of sinners to the point of death, who are we to throw our weight around and to bully those who are beneath us from a worldly perspective? And so to those of you who are managers in the workplace, and I know at least some of you are, let me say to you what I said to those who are lower down the line, as it were. Go to Jesus before you go to work. Let the Lord put you in your place. And let his grace soften your heart. And let his patience inform your patience with others. Don't meet with a lower down until you've met with the higher up. And to those of you with difficult managers who perhaps do throw their weight around and intimidate people and bully people and treat them in all kind of manipulative ways, remember Jesus isn't threatened. Jesus isn't impressed. Jesus isn't intimidated. And one day justice will be done. Pray for them then before it's too late. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And finally, to unbelievers, let's come full circle. We are all slaves of somebody. Bob Dylan wrote, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. And you may say, I'll serve myself. But in reality, what that means is you're a servant of sin. And you may laugh and say nonsense, but to you I would say this, be perfect then. See, the reason you can't be perfect is because you're a slave of your sin. You are its prisoner. And therefore, since we must all serve somebody, allow me to commend my master to you. He came from heaven and chose to be born as a baby boy he came from heaven's eternal throne and chose to be placed in a feeding trough and power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely but not in his case because with infinite power he used his power to bless the powerless He healed the sick. He opened the eyes of the blind. He raised the dead. And when the darkest day came, he chose not to access his power, but to die for the powerless. He chose to die as a slave dies between two thieves in order to raise the sons of earth from the pit to glory, from the uttermost to heaven born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth and how did he do it he did it by laying his power to one side and dying like a powerless criminal let me commend my master to you and exchange your master on earth whether that be yourself your sin or your manager at work for the master in heaven the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And I pray you'll do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're gonna sing now, but before we do, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would give to us all great joy as we work this coming week, not as though to men, but ultimately to our Master Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would be exemplary servants who say we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty, believing that glory will be given to Christ now and a reward will be given to us later. And Lord, we pray that our managers at work would come under the Lordship of Christ. We pray, Lord, that those who are slaves to themselves here and slaves to sin, Lord, will replace such a cruel master for our Master Christ. And we pray it all, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.